daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk. And this episode of Locked on Mizzou is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. And you know what? All I really need right now is some college football coming up in my life. And it sure doesn't necessarily appear like we're getting it at the moment. Because, well, we've gotten a lot of rumors circulating on Twitter from sources, from reporters that say, gosh, the Big Ten is going to be canceling their college football season. And this is, of course, in in the wake of news that the MAC, the Mid-American Athletic Conference, is already canceled its full, its fall season of all sports. And you know what? In this episode, we are going to talk about the possible cancellation of college football. And I also want to tell you guys about a couple members of Gary Pinkle's inner circle who are no longer with the program. But first, you know what? Why don't we just pretend that football is absolutely 100% happening? And let's break down this new 10-game SEC-only Mizzou football schedule, shall we? And if you're listening to this, by now you're surely aware that the two extra SEC games that Missouri picked up was Alabama at home and LSU on the road. Doesn't get much tougher than that, does it? And, well, it also makes me wonder, where were all the all the people who were saying it's probably going to be Texas A&M and Auburn? Where were those reporters getting that information? Did a booster tell them that from some school and then everybody just ran with it? I mean, I'll be honest with you, I ran with it to some extent on our previous show. I said, this is what everybody's saying. It's going to be A&M and Auburn. I at least left in the caveat, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. This is all speculation. But, again, just fascinating to see how something, a rumor basically, can become an accepted fact almost if it's retweeted enough times, as it were. But I was also somewhat amused by the negative reaction to that. And it's understandable, I suppose, on one hand. But on the other, to me, why why should a first-year coach, Eli Drinkwitz, why should he really be that scared of a difficult schedule? Now, I love that Eli, his stated goals for this program is every year we should be out there trying to compete for that SEC East championship. And I like that goal because it's a lofty goal, and yet it's attainable as well. It's something that Mizzou has done, obviously, a a couple times in the last eight years. But realistically, this is not the season that Missouri is going to be competing for an SEC East title. And I thought that before the schedule just got a lot, lot harder for the Tigers. Because let's be honest, anytime there's a first-year coach There's going to be a lot of transition, no matter how good that coach is. Now, if you want to make the argument that the previous regime offensively was inept and that just a new life being breathed into this offense could result in some further improvement, hey, I could totally buy into that premise. But not to the point where Missouri is going to leapfrog the Georgia Bulldogs and the Florida Gators in the 2020 season. I just don't see any realistic scenario in which that happened, again, under our previously much more favorable and manageable schedule. Now, under that previous schedule, I would say that Mizzou probably had five games that you would look at as probable wins. 
And that would have been Vanderbilt and Arkansas at home. Then in the non-conference, obviously, Eastern Michigan, Louisiana, and Central Arkansas. Now, Louisiana, obviously, a much better program if you follow college football closely in more recent years than Eastern Michigan or Central Arkansas, clearly. But still, you got to mark that one down as a probable victory. So you're saying, all right, there, there's five wins probably. Then you've got BYU, you know, and a bunch, of, and then a few other of our kind of usual suspects. You know, you could have definitely seen your seen a path to a winning schedule there for sure in a bowl game. Now, under this ten game scenario, it's unclear to me still. I've yet to see this information. What would constitute a bowl eligible season? Are bowls even going to be played this year? It seems like we still haven't figured that part out. But again, I said there were five almost certain wins, fairly certain wins on the Mizzou schedule. Now, under this new 10-game SEC-only schedule, I'm only seeing those home games against Vanderbilt and Arkansas as probable wins. Now, the almost certain, then there are four almost certain losses. I think we can agree that LSU and Alabama... Those are certain losses, right? Almost certain, of course. Georgia at home and then also at Florida. You know, just based on how Mizzou did last season, I think, and again, new coach, you have to assume that those big-time blue blood four programs there, you got to assume those are certain losses. So that's two and four. If we take our probable wins and probable losses, Mizzou's sitting at two and four. So then it all comes down to four toss-up games. You got Mississippi State, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Tennessee. So those are the games that it's will decide if Mizzou goes six and no, I'm sorry, if they go six and four or if they go two and eight for all intents and purposes. That's a pretty big range. And frankly, if Mizzou goes five and five, six and four with this schedule, Eli Drinkwitz should, and his whole staff, the whole program, should take a nice victory lap, especially under these really truly bizarre and extraordinary circumstances. And I have to say, I was surprised at Pat Forty, who is a national college football writer, also a Mizzou grad, and well, frankly, one of the more negative Mizzou fans at least in terms of the whole Mizzou curse, right? He very much buys into the idea that Mizzou has, is somehow cursed and that a extraordinarily large amount of bad luck has befallen Mizzou. And, well, whether, that, whether you buy into that notion or not, I don't have any scientific studies for you. I thought it was weird that Pat was acting like, oh, my God, LSU and Alabama, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to Missouri. This is such a Mizzou moment. Again, to me, Missouri was not a contender for the SEC East Championship. So let's just start right there. So why is this that big of a deal? To me, unless we're just going to start the first two games with LSU and Alabama, and that's just going to make our season tailspin because we're just not ready, we get humiliated, whatever it might be. To me, as a first-year coach, I don't mind seeing what my guys have against the absolute best competition. I think it'll be really invaluable in terms of talent evaluation and all that good stuff, as opposed to playing Eastern Michigan. I mean, honestly, what do you really learn about your football team by playing teams that are not on the same level from both a 
sort of macro and a micro. You don't learn much about your whole team, and you're not learning a whole lot in those film breakdowns at the individual position level either. So to me, in a longer term, obviously short term, this is going to mean less victories for Eli in his first season. But long term, if we can just take a bigger picture view of this, this might actually be a good thing in the long run. And frankly, well, it's going to be entertaining, again, assuming that it happens. There's not going to be any boring games this year, that's for sure. And you know what? I do want to take one more final glance, as I often do when I make my picks, at the coaches and the quarterbacks returning in the SEC. But first, got to tell you about rockauto.com. You know, no matter what we think about the coronavirus, it's certainly causing a lot of us to have to tighten our belts financially. And one reason to repair and maintain your vehicles is saving money that you can then use on other important things like paying your mortgage or going to the grocery store. So why would you voluntarily choose to spend 30, 50% or even 100% more for the exact same auto price auto parts at a chain store or at a dealership. You see, chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts they have available. And please write in Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So again, back when we actually played real football, and well, I guess we haven't canceled football officially yet, so let's assume that it's going to happen. And you know, my football betting, you know I have a segment on here occasionally. Well, every week when Mizzou's actually playing, I tell you if I think you should take it or stay away from the Mizzou angle, basically. And one thing I've always reminded myself, you can get so bogged down into looking at a game from all angles and all statistics and every possible way you can actually look at something, but it's always good at the end of that analysis when you've looked at it from as many angles as you can to take one more final look at the coach and the quarterback. I mean, really literally look at both of those sides of the football. It may sound overly simplistic, but that's what I like about this rule, is it reminds you of what's really, truly important at the end of the day, the biggest variables that they are, and that's frankly the coach and the quarterback. And when I say the coach, I mean really the coaching staff, I suppose, because you can't separate, for instance, I can't think of this gentleman's name, but Bill Belichick has had a long time offensive line coach that really probably doesn't get enough credit for that dynasty with New England. But regardless, the point is is you can't really separate those two. If you're getting one, you're getting you're getting them both. So when I take like Ed Orgeron, the LSU coach, and I say he's a plus or he's coming back, well I'm really saying the entire staff is a plus. And speaking of Orgeron and LSU, along with those other likely losses, LSU, Alabama Florida, Georgia, obviously those coaching staffs are intact, very much a lot of continuity in those places, but you're breaking in some new quarterbacks, interestingly enough, at least relatively new. At Alabama, definitely a relatively new new quarterback. We all know Tua Tugaviola 
has moved on to the Miami Dolphins, but we also remember that he got hurt late in the season, don't we? So their new guy, Mac Jones, has some experience, and he's shown some promise, too. So I'm not looking for any sort of Missouri upset based on a quarterback deficiency there. LSU, definitely not. Joe Burrow played every snap, practically. I mean, any every important snap for LSU, that's for sure. So whoever the starts for them is not going to have the type of experience that Mac Jones does, but eh, you got to figure they'll probably figure something out there. Georgia, kind of the same deal. Felipe Franks went down early with an injury. He's now the quarterback at Arkansas, by the way. They're starting quarterback. But it certainly appears that Kyle Trask is going to start for the Gators once again, even though, well, some people down there are probably asking for Emory Jones, who's certainly more of a uh, flashy, scrambling quarterback, let's put it that way, maybe puts up some highlight reels, but as of now, it, it certainly appears from all indications in Gainesville that Trask is leading that competition. Now again, I mentioned Felipe Franks will be Arkansas's starting quarterback. I certainly am expecting a win from Missouri there, but you know they are bringing back their coach for his second season at least, so there is going to be some continuity there. Still not expecting big things from Arkansas. And you know what? If you're a Vanderbilt fan and you're saying, well, heck, our coach is back. We've got Derek Mason. We beat you guys last year. Why are you chalking this up as a likely victory for Missouri? Well, fair point, Mr. Commodore fan. But you know what? Since they're very, very unsettled at quarterback right now, I just can't see any reason to pick the Commodores to beat Missouri and Columbia this year. Now getting to our four toss-up games, first of all, you've got new coach down in Starkville, Mike Leach for Mississippi State. Also, well, their quarterback situation is unsettled. And while normally on a Mike Leach team, you'd think whoever they get at quarterback, whoever is starting, doesn't really matter. They, they're just, they can generally find somebody to run that system. But I would tend to believe that. But at the same time, he hasn't been able to recruit any of these quarterbacks. So really, that's going to be an important game for Missouri. Mississippi State picked to be, I think, second to last in the SEC West. So that's really an opportunity for the Tigers to pick up an important win, especially in Mike Leach's first year. Hopefully we're catching him on a good season because I imagine after year three or four, he'll have his offense running quite nicely. Now, the Kentucky Wildcats famously have beaten Missouri a lot lately, right? They haven't exactly blown us out other than maybe one game, but, you know, I don't know. It's hard to pick Missouri against Kentucky right now, despite the fact they'll have a new quarterback in Tyler Wilson. But remember, Kentucky was basically running the Wildcat last year. They didn't have a real passing threat last year. They had a wide, third-string wide receiver turn quarterback for most of their season. So I can't just assume that they won't be better offensively, despite the fact they're breaking in a new guy. Then you've got Tennessee, and you've got South Carolina. Ryan Holinsky for the, for the Gamecocks. Had some, you know, again, he's going to have a year of experience under his belt now. I thought his results were kind of up and down. I don't know that he has all SEC type upside or anything, but, you know, he's kind of a solid game manager type that kind of works to what Will Muschamp likes to do. And finally, well, there is still a quarterback race 
in Tennessee, but right now I would say it's probably Jarrett Garantano's job to lose. Now, there was some talk that maybe this kid would transfer, which I, I thought was surprising because, well, he threw for 400 yards against Missouri last year, certainly when DeMarcus Acey, Missouri cornerback, was out. The Vols definitely took advantage there, but, you know, I was, I, again, I'm surprised that Harrison Bailey, a four-star quarterback, a true freshman, he's enrolled early. I, I just, I don't know, I still see it being the Garantano kid. That's what I see. So, ultimately, not a ton of great quarterbacks coming back on this schedule for Missouri, if that's something that wants to give you a little bit of optimism, well, I wouldn't blame you, but unfortunately... My optimism is up because we got to talk about the reality of college football not happening right after this. Quickly, a couple really important members of Gary Pinkle's inner circle are no longer with the program now. Rex Sharp, the head athletic trainer for the football team for many years, is now off into retirement land. Henry Josie famously once said about Rex Sharp, that he's almost taken me into his family as one of his own. And certainly we remember the horrific leg injury suffered by Henry Josie and obviously how great he was coming back. I mean, miraculously, quite honestly, how good Josie was after that injury. And obviously Rex Sharp deserves tremendous amount of credit for that, as do people like Jeremy Macklin and Denario Alexander and various guys who've missed entire seasons with injuries, torn ligaments, done all kinds of crazy stuff, and then went on to have successful college careers still or even long, successful NFL careers in the case of Jeremy Macklin. So certainly a big part of Mizzou football. And Rex Sharp, shout out to you, a true son, no doubt about it. And then secondly, unfortunately, Chad Moeller, who is Missouri's longtime sports information director, now I guess they call it I don't know, media relations director, something like that. But, you know, Chad was with Mizzou for about 25 years. He'd been furloughed since June, and, well, he's now been laid off, and that's kind of a surprise. I mean, Chad has obviously been there for long enough that he had a, he probably turned down, quite honestly, a plethora of my interview requests back in the day when I was with the Missourian. Turns out Mizzou, ironically, the athletic department, not that big of a fan of the Missourian. You would think that there would be more of a symbiotic relationship there, but no, I digress. Honestly, I'm not blaming Chad for any of that. I'm just telling you that's how the athletic department works sometimes, just a little peek behind the curtain. But regardless, Chad Moeller, 25 years at Mizzou, appreciate your service, pal. I know I speak for a lot of Mizzou fans there and a lot of people in media relations who maybe you actually helped out. I'm sorry, I I couldn't help myself. I had to do it again. But with all that out of the way, we do have to get to the negative parts now. And I suppose that you can't help but feel a little negative if you've been on sports Twitter for the last 24, 48 hours or so. Fortunately for me, I stayed off of it all weekend, but boy, Monday was a real rude awakening for this podcaster right here. But I will say... It was a little bit heartening to see that for the first time, we're seeing some pretty serious pushback 
on the shutdown of everything. Not the idea that the virus is real or fake, blah, blah, blah. The people who would like to frame the argument as people who think that the virus is real and fake, let's have a little bit more nuance there. Because certainly we all, 99% of us acknowledge that the virus exists, and yet there are still people like Daniel Parker Jr., Mizzou tied in, and Missouri linebackers Nick Bolton and Jamal Brooks who are throwing in with all kinds of football players across the nation, tweeting out the hashtag, we want to play. So, and you know what? If I were them, I would want to play too. And you know what? I, I also, I'll echo what the, there was a Parents of Ohio State football players letter that was advocating for the season to be held this fall. And one of the things they said is, while we recognize the risk cannot be eliminated, we believe the risk is minimal, and the season can safely and responsibly occur. And obviously we've seen Jim Harbaugh. He's, he's had his own, his own statements too, and his, he's put out numbers about the fairly low amounts of positive tests at the University of Michigan. So, again, it's just interesting to see Ohio State and Michigan kind of on the same side here, right? Well, again, if we're going to look at facts, if we're going to trust the experts, well, I have some numbers for you here. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, well, they've reported that 225 people from the 15 to 24 demographic have died from COVID-19. Now, if you just take 18 to 22-year-olds, now I'm extrapolating a little bit here with my own logic, but if you just took 18 to 22-year-olds, again, instead of 15 to 24, and and they were all perfectly healthy, healthy enough to play college football. I mean, we're talking now single digits of people who have died in that scenario in this country. I can almost promise you that. But regardless of me extrapolating, 225 people in the 15 to 24 demographic. I'm sorry, a lot of these kids come from really dangerous backgrounds, and I'm not just saying this. They're they're saying it too. They're saying, no, we're actually safer on campus because if you make us go home, if you're from a place like, I don't know, say like where Tyler Macon is from, our future quarterback, if you're from East St. Louis, Illinois, you've probably, and you're a 16-year-old kid like Tyler Macon, you've probably had friends and acquaintances who have been murdered, all right? So maybe your view of COVID-19 is going to be a little bit different, especially if you're privy to those CDC numbers that that I just read aloud. If these players are privy to any of this kind of information, you can see why they'd be like, now wait a second, I've been taking risk my entire life, and now you're saying I can't take a risk on something that's killed 200 people out of multiple, multiple, multiple millions of 15 to 24-year-olds in this country? I don't think it's a crazy idea whatsoever for Nick Bolton and his teammates to say, we want to play. And frankly, I want them to play as well. And I'm guessing, even if you think it's not safe, obviously you want them to play. I'm not accusing anybody out there, if you disagree with me, I'm not accusing you of nefarious anything. But let's just take a more rational look at this. Let's have a more realistic relationship with risk and fear and sickness and quite frankly, death, because that's what this comes all this what that's what all, all this comes back to to me. And when you look at the actual death totals, especially from people of the college football demographic, 
Again, I've said this for months, and I'll say it again. There's absolutely no reason that we can't play college football in fanless environments. Okay? You guys agree with me? No? Not all of you? Well, that's okay. Because you know what? While I may be an opinion leader, I'm certainly not a decider. This is going to be up to the SEC and all that good stuff, the presidents of these conferences. So, well, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? And with all that being said, thanks for joining me once again. And until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou. Thank you.